Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. Well, again, let me say welcome, and uh, I hope, and boy, what a blessing it is, and how filled up this pastor gets when I hear your voice singing praise to the Lord and uh, asking for a keen sense of a fresh awareness of His presence. Uh, it is inspiring to me and encourages me, and I hope that it does you as well. Uh, today we're going to be primarily in Acts chapter 1, 2, 11, and 13. Uh, I'm just kind of almost kidding a little bit. I'm going to start in Acts chapter 1, though, and uh, I, I want to st- start by, listen, I want us to understand, I think it's so important for us to understand the days that we live in. I feel like there is such a desire to, to go back and to catch up where we left off. But I'm just telling you, I've tried my best to cultivate that. Uh, I think that there's a very clear pathway back to what we left. I think we just have to wait a while to be able to get it. But I cannot shake the sense that that is not what God wants us to do. Uh, and, and I just, I feel like we're in a new age. Not the new age, don't be afraid. I feel like we are in, well, maybe, uh, but, but I, feel like, I feel like God is doing something new. I feel like there has been a, a shift in an, an awakening, an awareness. And I think that there are some people around the world that are going to capture that and, and take the world into a whole other place. And I feel like there's going to be a lot of the church who's going to, to want their past back. And while we are grateful for the past, I think the, the greatest blessing that can be is it can be a launching place for the new thing that God is doing. And I don't want to attribute all of the, the you know, that, that coronavirus and all the other global problems that we're experiencing are some kind of curse upon us. I think because we wouldn't listen any other way, God is allowing there to be a lot of benefits with his and his people for us to ask the questions that we should have been asking all along. And so I want to start by just simply saying this, since I, and I honestly, I've spent day after day after day for months processing how do we navigate how do we figure this out and and most of my thoughts are how do we get back into the room together how are we going to know when and everybody is safe to come back in together and and I keep getting convicted over this question because I don't think it's the right question Because the mandate and the goal of the church was never to meet in a building. It was to make disciples of all the nations. I mean, if you look over and over and over, there was always this idea of scattering and going. And it seems that the church is so enamored and in love with the idea of coming and doing. And I feel like there's never been a greater time for us to figure out what does the world need the church to be? And I think that when we answer that question, we will find that it's exactly the very thing that God called us to be 2,000 years ago. And so I don't think that it's an accident that God has laid upon our hearts the book of Acts and their founding and they're getting started because God was starting a new age then. 
What does it look like to start something fresh and something new? And so I think since God doesn't change and his mandate and his mission doesn't change, it would make sense that we can pretty much, as we're learning to follow the pattern of Christ, we can follow the pattern of the early church. What does it look like to minister to a world that doesn't want ministry? What does it look like to be afraid to be in public? What does it look like for us to, to, to overcome our, uh, our sensibilities and to risk and be bold? What does it look like? Where does it start? How do we get going? And so I think these seem to be the questions, and I think we find the answer in the book of, of Acts. And I really believe that the world looks at this early fledgling church the same way that the world is looking at the church today. You know, they'll eventually, you know, peter out. They'll eventually give up. They, they, they've lost their voice, you know, or, or maybe persecution will put an end to them. And, and for a whole lot of Christians, it does. I don't think that it's an accident. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really not judging because that's not where my heart is. But I don't think it's an accident in the book of Revelation that as we enter into the last days, that there is a great falling away from the church because some people don't want to be bold. Some people don't want to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. They just wanted to go to heaven when they die. And when they find out that there's more to it than that, it's, you know what, I don't sign up for that. That's not where my yes was. My yes was personal insurance. My yes wasn't for the name and the fame of Jesus Christ. It's no wonder there's a falling away. If we're going to be living in fear and not in faith, there's no power for the church. So the goal can't be for us to be safe in our building. That was never the mandate anyway. In Acts chapter 1, join me there in verse 6. Uh, this is the, the literal founding of the new idea when Jesus is meeting with his disciples after the resurrection. And Jesus, some of his, some of his last words and teachings just before his ascension back to heaven. And here's, here's the reason that I say all that I've said so far. I think it's very important. I don't want to miss it. Is because if we're not careful, we'll start seeing our opportunities shrink as we're not having Sunday school, as we're not having midweek service, as we're not able to have coffee or donuts or meet together and slap high fives and hug and do all the things that we, you know, I grew up, we used to wave hankies. Now we wear wave face masks during worship. Uh, you know, I mean, God gave us those to, to use. Used to, you had to pull them out of your pocket. Now you take them off your ear. Uh, weird. Who would have pictured all of that, right? But, but I want to say to you is I want to, I don't want you to feel negative about all the things that I've said so far. I want you to feel empowered because I really believe that for the church, our best days are ahead of us because I think we're clarifying. I think we're, we're clearing some things up. I think that we've gotten a great deal of focus and deliberation over the last few months. I'm excited about our future. I just don't think it looks like our past, but I think the things that truly matter can't go away because they're eternal. We've just got to figure out what does that look like for us to stay on point, for us to stay, or maybe for the first time, get engaged in the mission and the mandate of Jesus Christ without doing it the way we've always been taught to do it. Our generation has an opportunity to do a new thing, to do something that will change the world just like the early church changed the world. And I'm filled with hope about that. Uh, and I need brothers and sisters to be thinking for ourselves instead of maintaining traditions that we've held for dozens of years. I need 
born-again, empowered believers to think for ourselves and say, what can I do? What, does my, what am I saying yes to? So when Jesus starts talking about this new movement, uh, when he says, you know, you have been baptized or, you know, John baptized with water, but you will be, this is in verse six of chapter one of Acts, but you will be baptized not many days from now by the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a new thing for the church. Could they meet corporately? Yes. Could they worship the Lord? Yes. Could they give offerings? Yes. Were they supposed to go out and share the message of, of God? Yes. They were, they were to do everything that the new church was to do, except the church is starting a new thing because they are going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And I feel like we have forgotten the benefits of being empowered by the Holy Spirit. In a lot of ways, we're doing church like Jews did. We're wanting it to be done upon us or something that we just go through the motions and do. We go to church on Sunday morning, I'm done. I go to Sunday school and I learn some new things and I'm done. You know, I, I, I check off the one or two times a month that I go and I'm done. I've done my Christian duty. People ask, oh, are you a Christian? Yes. But being a Christian is so much more than identifying with, with a, a worldview or a framework. Being a Christian is where we would say, I am living my life on purpose for Jesus Christ. And it matters because it's eternal. That's why the church of Antioch is so important because it was in this place that they first said, these people act like Jesus. I just wonder if in our church, if our neighborhoods, if our city, if our county would say, man, those people, they, they act like Jesus over there. Or do we act like Christians that we've known? Well, so here's what the early church, when, when Jesus starts getting excited about this new revolutionary Holy Spirit movement that's going to change the world, here's what the disciples say, all right? Now, they have already witnessed the resurrection of Jesus, and here's their question to Jesus. The best question that, at this point, the best believers could ask was this. Is this the time that you're going to restore your kingdom to Israel? They could not get their eyes off of this kingdom. They could not see what Jesus was talking about. Jesus was trying to take them to a whole other level, and they were satisfied with making this level better. And I really believe that many of us and most of the world live in that same place. We think about Christianity. I just really want to elevate my life a little bit. I just want to go to heaven. That's all I want. I really just want my life here to be a lot better while I wait for that life there. And that's never what Jesus called us to. In fact, I think it's an insult to the cross and to the giving of the Holy Spirit. I think it's one of the reasons why the church today has such a poor view in culture is because we've not been the church for a long time. Ask ourselves this. If the goal is to make disciples, how many disciples have we made? How many people are we reaching? How many times is the gospel on your, your lips week after week after week? Seldom. How many people are we seeing baptized? Are we being effective as the church? Well, if the effectiveness of the church is meeting together week after week and going to our classes and talking to each other about how much better our life is, yeah, we're nailing it. So the question cannot be, how do we get back to where we were? The question has to be, how can we use coronavirus days 
as an opportunity to change the world because we are empowered to obey the mandate of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you something. Coronavirus can't stop it. There's not one thing on this earth that can't stop it. The sword of the Romans couldn't stop it. Neither could the cross. And these people weren't asking, when's it going to be safe? They were asking, death, I'm in. But it had better matter for eternity. I'm not saying take uncalculated risks. I'm saying the things that we put our hand to, they better matter for eternity. And until they can, we're going to play it safe. Until we can formulate, how can we change the world? So here's what Jesus says. You're going to receive power of the Holy Spirit not many days from now. (laughs) Now, when they ask the question, are you going to make it easier for us? Are we going, this, is this when we're going to be leaders and treasurers and secretaries of the kingdom? And Jesus said, you know what? It's not for you to know the seasons. It's not for you to know the timing. Boy, isn't that what we want? We want to know the time, right? You want to know how to pack out a room? Start talking about prophecy in the book of Revelation. People want to hear. They want you to name names and tell me when, where, why, and how. That's what I want to know. That's exactly what the early church wanted to know. Tell us when. Oh, you think that's what horns mean on that big beast? Oh, well, I always thought it was, oh, Christians love to talk about the times and the seasons. Jesus said, here's what's important. Look what he says. I'm I'm not going to paraphrase Jesus. It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but your responsibility is this. You will receive power. That's all you need to know. You will receive power by the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. Quit worrying about the times and the seasons and you need to start thinking about what it looks like to be a witness in a world that doesn't like you. And here's how you're going to win them over. Love them. Give. Humility. Serve them. That's not how you take over a kingdom. You take over a kingdom by being right and being strong and being the majority. Well, guess what? We're not strong nor the majority anymore. We are in a post-Christian age, a post-church age. And if we're going to reveal his kingdom to this world, we're going to have to use it with his tools because our tools don't work anymore. Churches are filled with those who are more concerned with themselves. What's in it for me? What am I going to get? How do I feel? This is only true because of the same reason it was true for the early church. They're confused about themselves and their purpose because they were confused about their mission. They had gotten caught up in what and they forgot why. And that's what I want to suggest and continue to suggest to us. We are going to live in a state of confusion when we only focus on the what. But we will be able to live with clarity when we know why. The good news is we don't have to ask why. He already told us. So Luke's story of the founding of the church in Acts begins with two revolutionary events. The first event 
focuses on the mission of the church when Jesus said, make disciples of all the nations. The second event, he tells them what, and then he empowers them with the Holy Spirit. I think that's so important. He empowers it for its mission. The church is useless in society without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. The church only serves itself without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Being, about, being a Christian is about being on mission and saying yes. Not just the forgiveness of sins and not just living out a certain lifestyle. Uh, this, is, and this is the process we're used to. So this is what the indwelling of the Holy Spirit tells us. We can't do anything without Jesus except say yes to him and then living his empowerment. So many, and I'm not saying this to judge, I'm saying this out of conviction. So many Christians bear the name but are not living empowered lives. And I don't say that to beat anybody up. I say that to call us up into what God has called us to be all along. When Jesus responds to his disciples concerning the kingdom of Israel being restored, he's not trying to redirect their attention. He is saying to them, he's not trying to change the subject so he doesn't have to answer the question. He's answering the question. And the question is, you're asking the wrong question. Listen to this. In John chapter 20, verse 21, I quote this a lot, but I'm going to read it from Jesus' lips. Jesus said to them, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me. As means the same model, right? So, as the Father has sent me, for the same reason, for the same mission, we are not just to be good people as Christians. We are to be active Christians, like Christ in this world. As the Father sent Jesus, Jesus said, I'm sending you for the same mission and purpose. Why, did Jesus, why was Jesus sent from the Father? If this were Sunday school, I would ask that question. We would talk about it. I'm going to give you the answer. To seek and to save the lost. To make disciples. To pursue and recruit worshipers for the glory of God the Father. To glorify the Father in every breath of our lives. That's why the Father sent Jesus, so that the world would know that he is. So, Jesus said, for those very purposes, the same purpose that I send you out. And after saying this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Listen, let me. I do not want you to hear a sermon this morning. I want you to hear the breath of the Holy Spirit. I want it to do something different in us than it's ever done before. I want you to hear this as if you've never heard this message before. We must live as sent people. Period. The Father sent Jesus to us. We take up the mantle and we continue the being sent and the going, and the speaking, and the model. It's not just so our sins can be forgiven. 
a, a lot of folks would, would, would say yes to Jesus and, you know, I, I admit that I'm a sinner. I say yes to Jesus and as a benefit, I get to go to heaven when I die. I mean, that was the point. That was the whole reason that I got saved anyway. It was for me. I'm just being honest. I did not want to go to hell. Anybody else? I didn't want to go to hell. Uh, and so I'm going to say yes to Jesus. But perfect love, what does perfect love do? Casts out fear. So once you start getting to know and experience who Jesus really is, guess what happens? I'm not a Christian because I'm afraid anymore. There are a lot of Christians who are Christians because they don't want to go to hell and they're afraid. But once you get to know Jesus, perfect love casts out fear. I'm not a Christian because I'm afraid. I'm a Christian because I love Jesus. It changes everything. It changes our motivation and it changes our why. The truth of the matter is, <laughs> Jesus never really commands us that, that salvation was for us. I mean, Jesus talks about accepting him often, but it's usually to accept him so that the message can continue. So when we act as if the kingdom of heaven is the goal of our salvation, I think we miss it. The goal of our salvation is so that we can be a blessing to the nations and bring to them the gospel of Jesus Christ to our neighbors and to the uttermost parts of the world. And as a benefit to saying yes to that, he lets us live with him for all eternity. That's what salvation looks like. At salvation, God gives us a new heart for his name. He puts his spirit in us to energize us to accomplish the work of Jesus in the world. Think about this. You've heard me use this illustration before, but in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. This is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. We find that God the Father, it's his plan to redeem the world and to restore broken things and to give us a ministry of reconciliation so that we can have a renewed relationship with Him. That's all the Father. It's all His plan. But there had to be a kinsman redeemer to unite us back to the Father because sin broke that relationship and there had to be a bridge back to the Father. And so one of us has to be perfect and die for all of us. And so Jesus chose to cloak his deity and be born a man and live among us. Never ever taking advantage of his deity while he lived among us, but living perfect and sinless, he died for us. We also know that in Colossians chapter one and also in 1 Corinthians that everything that was made was made by Jesus Christ and it was made for Jesus Christ and everything is held together by him. We know that, it's not debatable. So when God said, this is the Father's plan, in Genesis chapter one, when man was formed out of the dust of the flesh, guess who made us? It was Jesus Christ, the creator. But when did man become a living being? When the spirit of God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, he came alive. The same thing is true in salvation. It's not the father's will that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. 
But what is the way to restore us back to a relationship with the Father? Again, Jesus, the creator of man, created the pathway, the bridge back to the Father. And it's one thing for us to accept that sacrifice in belief. It's another thing for us to be filled with the breath of the Holy Spirit. And listen, folks, it is not until we are filled with the Holy Spirit that we truly become a living being. You cannot do Christianity apart from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And I'm afraid that so many of us are trying to do that. Trying to be good people, trying to be kind people, trying to be patient people. We're trying to replicate the fruit of the Spirit without depending upon the Spirit. The only way that this can work is to be in the presence of Almighty God not just in the presence of other Christians. So in many of us, we live, in the, we've, we live in the indwelling or the infeeling of just being around other Christians, and it makes us feel good. We've, you know, we've satisfied our obligation, and I just love being around Christian people. I get so excited. I get so joyful. I get so hopeful. I'm reminded of so many. But listen, it goes to a whole other level when you experience that same joy of just being in the presence of God himself. Not only that, but allowing God himself to be in you. Think about just 11 chapters later in Genesis chapter 11 at Babel. Their language was confused. Remember that? And just a few people could understand each other. At salvation, the early church was given new tongues and everyone could understand each other. The difference between Babel and Pentecost is a complete undoing of what it looks like for let's make a name for ourselves. And it creates confusion and division, separation. But when we choose to make a name for God, He gives us an opportunity to communicate, brings us together. Now, when God cursed Babel and confused their language, what did He do? He scattered them to the uttermost parts of the earth. And then what does he do with these new people who can speak clearly the, 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 uh, the, the language of the Holy Spirit that unites people together? What does he say to do? Immediately, go to the uttermost parts of the world and be scattered to bring life. To undo the curse of let's make a name for ourselves. He gives us the empowerment to make a name for him. We've been looking at Acts and Paul's life and Stephen's life and Peter's life and John's life and all of those disciples. And what does it look like for us to be personally empowered? Well, obviously, they have a supernatural ability to understand and present Scripture. They had the ability to do supernatural healing, supernatural unity, a desire to truly wait until we have direction from God to pray for that direction. And they had a supernatural dependence. I mean, this is not like Abraham who prayed and did what he wanted. Or Moses who prayed and did what he wanted. Or David who prayed and did what he wanted. These were people who had decided that, you know what? We have a lot of ideas, but we're going to listen to the Holy Spirit. That's supernatural. We will always get ahead of ourselves if we pray knowing what we're already going to do. 
They also had supernatural generosity. And that was because they had supernatural freedom because they knew who they were in Christ now. And they, were, they had a freedom to be generous, not just tithing like the Old Testament, but now generous giving. And they had supernatural boldness. You take all of these things at the early church, and that's what we find in this very first encounter at Antioch. I mean, these people are quite different than they used to be. So what does it look like for empowered people individually? I know, because Scripture is clear, what every Christian is called to be and called to do and why they are called to do it. But what would it look like for those that are saying yes to band together? You see, I am incredibly, I, I do believe that I'm indwelt by the Holy Spirit. I believe that I have said yes to Jesus. I also know that all that God is can't possibly be contained in me. I know that. I have some gifts. I have some uh, understanding. I have some wisdom. But when you bring your wisdom and your understanding and your gift into mine, it enhances mine. And when the person sitting beside you brings theirs into that, it expands it. And let me tell you something. There's not enough people in the world to exhaust God's manifold wisdom, his many colors that he would bring because we can't contain it all. But we are better together. It does not do anything to eclipse my personal calling. But I need the church. I need you. Because there's a better understanding of my call, my ministry, and I have more abilities when we're together than I do when I'm by myself. It's important for us to understand. That's why the most of the New Testament writings of the letters to the churches are about the one another's. Because we have to learn how to work together. And you're exasperating, just like I am. And so we need to learn to give preference to one another and to be patient with one another and to forgive one another quickly and how to love one another and be humble together and how to esteem others more highly than we esteem ourselves. It's very important and it's supernatural work. In John chapter 17, verse 22, Jesus said, I have given them the glory. That word glory, doxa, it means the good opinion or the reputation or the judgment that you have given me. Here's what, here's what Jesus is truly saying. It's easy for us to say, oh, that Jesus shows us the glory that the Father showed him. But what he's actually saying is everything that God placed into Jesus about his good name and his good reputation, Jesus hands off to us. We are continuing the attributes and the personhood of Jesus. He says this, I have given them the glory that you gave me. That's great news, right? Most of us want to stop right there. But some of the two of the most powerful words of Scripture are just after that. So that, see the purpose? So that I have given them the glory because there's a purpose for the glory. There's a reason why you have had the glory of Jesus Christ that came from God the Father. That they may be one. And then he restates in verse 23. I in them and you in me. Well, if the Father is in the Son and the Son is in you, guess what? We have everything that Jesus has. Again, that they may be perfectly united. 
So that, here it is again, for that same purpose, that the world may know that you sent me and have loved them just as you loved me. How important is this union together with other believers? It is our greatest evangelistic tool to show them the love of the Father, but that's not what we show people. That's not what the church has been accused of doing for the last 50 years is demonstrating the love of the Father to the world. We've been demonstrating how to show them that we're right and to try to beg them to agree with us about everything, but that wasn't the mission of Jesus. The mission of Jesus was to love people so that they would understand the love of the Father. And how can they most understand that when Christians dwell together in unity? So we need each other. All right, we're in Acts chapter 11. And, and I am almost done, okay? Truly. <clears throat> Those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. Very important to understand that, right? They traveled as far as Phoenicia. Phoenicia is a region that's halfway between Jerusalem and Antioch. It's a, it's a great distance, Speaking the word to no one except who? Now, these Hellenistic Jews that were leaving, most of the traditional Jews stayed in Jerusalem. They were much safer. But these Greek-speaking Jews were having to get out of town because Stephen was a Greek-speaking Jew. And he was the one that was murdered, and they all felt super threatened by the culture around them. And so we got to get out of Dodge. And uh, Dodge was a little neighborhood in Jerusalem there. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, but so they had to leave uh, Jerusalem and they headed north into Phoenicia. Some of them got tired and stayed. And they went all the way up to Antioch. And then just outside of Antioch and Phoenicia, off in the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, there's an island there called Cyprus. Now, listen, as they are trekking away from Jerusalem, they're speaking the word. That's the truth of, the, of uh, Jesus speaking the word to no one except Jews. After all, the limited scope of their understanding is Jesus was a Jew. Jesus was the Messiah. The Messiah belongs to the Hebrews. He's going to restore Israel. I think they had such a limited understanding of who Jesus was, right? Their Judaism had closed their eyes to their real purpose and who Jesus truly was. They couldn't see it. So why would we tell the gospel to non-Jews? So they're very, very limited. And this is the best word in the entire passage. But there were some of them. There were some of them. Men of Cyprus and Cyrene. If you go back to Acts chapter 2, it was Cyrene that some of these people were from when they were indwelt by the Holy Spirit, when they told Peter, hey, you don't have to labor so hard. We can hear every word you're saying. These are some of the people that were saved there at Pentecost who on coming to Antioch, listen to this, spoke to the who? Hellenists, the Greeks. These are Greek people. They're not Greek speaking Jews. Everywhere up till this moment, even the Greek speaking folks were either proselytes to Judaism you see many experiences here with Greek names and Greek people, but they all were coming out of a Jewish background. They were safe people to talk to. They already had the background. This is the first time 
that men of God, empowered by the Holy Spirit, said, the gospel's for everybody. We ought to be talking to Gentiles, too. To these Greeks, too. Who, on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenist also. Preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand, so, so the goal wasn't to help people become more Christian Jew. The goal was to have people empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, when you go back to Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15, those traditional Jews and many of the Hellenistic Jews said that Christians, if you're going to say that you're a Christian, you've got to become a Jew first. You've got to follow all the feast days. You've got to do all of the things. You've got to be circumcised. You have to go through all of the hoops and the hurdles to become a Jew. And then once you become a Jew, then you can become a Christian. But it was the men who lived in Antioch who had seen the grace of God like Barnabas and Paul who looked at Peter and said, you're wrong. The gospel is for everyone. The gospel frees us from being Jews. The gospel frees us from being Greeks. The gospel is freeing. It's not restrictive. That is so powerful. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. No, wait, did you see that? I want to just bear that out very quickly. A great number who believed turned to the Lord. There were some who believed who didn't turn to the Lord. I've known some of those people who believe, but they won't surrender. They want to live their life. They, they want Jesus' things. They don't want Jesus. The report of this, of what? Of Greeks becoming Christians? Ludicrous. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And you know what these godly men in Jerusalem said? We've got to go investigate this. This isn't the way it's supposed to work. And so they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God. Listen, that's unmistakable. I don't know if Gentiles can get saved or not. But I know what the grace of God feels like. And when I walk into these Gentiles who say they have turned to Jesus, it feels just like it did when I experienced the grace of God. This this truly is God. Who knew? Gentiles can get saved. And, and, And Barnabas is so excited. And so what's the first thing he does? He says to himself, who do I need to recruit to be a part of this? This church at Antioch is accomplishing things that the church in Jerusalem could never do because the church in Jerusalem isn't asking the right questions. You know who needs to be a part of this? Saul Paul. So what does he do? He's going to go to Tarsus, and I'm going to find Saul Paul, and I'm going to see where is he at. Hey, you know what? You need to be a part of this movement. I know that you've already been talking about Jesus reaching Gentiles. You need to come with me to Antioch. And so what do they do? They go up there for an entire year teaching the church. Can you imagine having Barnabas and Paul teaching us for a year And look what it says. 
in verse 26. And as a result of their teaching there for a year, in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. These aren't Jews. Don't you think the Jews should have been the first ones to call Christians? Nope. The ones who were the least likely. The ones who turned to the Lord. Now, I don't have time. I wanted to have time. I don't have time. I never have time to finish. But what I want to do is I want us to show us this super quickly. All right? Back when we were living out our faith in the very early stages, before we understood the giving of the Holy Spirit and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, did the church pray? Yeah, they prayed all the time. They prayed to tell God whatever it was. But you know what they're doing now when they're banding together at the church at Antioch? They're praying and fasting. They're praying and listening. They're wanting God to speak to them. And you know what God does? Back in the early church, angels showed up. You know what they do in the church of Antioch? The Holy Spirit speaks. Back in the church of Jerusalem, they were giving. Generously giving. Selling property, selling possessions. And giving that away. But you know what they were doing up in Antioch? The church at Jerusalem was distributing funds within themselves so that everyone had their needs met. But there was a prophet who came up to Antioch and he began to talk to them up there and told them that there's a famine coming to Jerusalem and they're going to be struggling there. So you know what Antioch did? Antioch went to their knees in prayer and they started asking the Lord, what do you want us to do, Lord? And they sent an offering, a generous, way above their tithes, sold their possessions, gave away their stuff, and sent that money back to people they didn't know. It's one thing to be generous to each other. It's another thing to put that in an envelope and send it to people you don't know. That's supernatural. Do you know what the church at Jerusalem did? They spoke the truth in the streets and they talked to their neighbors. Do you know what the church at Antioch did? they started calling out missionaries to go to the uttermost parts of the world. You know, we are really, really handy all by ourselves. We can pray, we can give. You know, the church at Jerusalem, when they established the deacons, it was because there was a prejudicial issue. These Jews thought they were being repressed by these Jews. You know what the church at Antioch is doing? There, you talk about diversity. They're talking to entire different people groups. Barbarians, pagans. They took the prejudice of Jerusalem and they, man, you talk about the grace of God indwelling them. That's why I want to talk about Antioch because you can see, and I'm not comparing churches. I don't think we're supposed to do that. But you look at the true church at Jerusalem, they were so limited by how far they could see. The church at Antioch hadn't learned to limit themselves yet. And I'm tired of living limited. I am convinced that the Holy Spirit is no less at work today than he was 2,000 years ago. And I am convinced that the difficulties of our day give the church an opportunity that it's not had in at least 100 years. And it excites me. But I'm only one person. But I know this. The goal of Connect Church isn't going to be how do we get people back into the room the goal of our church has to be, how can we become disciples that make disciples? 
How can we see people who are broken and hurting and lost the least likely? How can we see them indwelt by the Holy Spirit so that the world can know that the Father sent the Son? How can we live in unity together? How can we be generous and care about people we'll never see? How can we send more missionaries? We need each other. We need each other's indwelling. So as we close, and I'm done, here's the invitation. I want us to spend a minute or two in prayer, individually, asking the Lord, Lord, what is my yes? What would you have me to do? How can I take... You know, you think about love and humility. Where you find love, especially in Christ, you always find humility. Love and humility. Lord, how can you use me to serve my church and my community? How, how can I serve to the uttermost? Lord, if you're wanting us to be scattered, the church has never been more scattered in my lifetime than it is right now. How can we use this? Because the mandate of Jesus Christ cannot be thwarted by a virus. It wasn't by a spear. It can't be by sickness. So we can't meet the way we used to meet. We can't study the way we used to study. We have to do that on our own. We have to make sure that we are growing as disciples of Jesus Christ on our own. How are we going to change the world given the umbrella that we're living under? And we're empowered to do that. What's your part? What's it going to look like? Let's pray for a few moments. I'm going to pray, but that's not, I'm not closing in prayer. And you don't have to stay until the Holy Spirit speaks to all of us. But I would encourage you, let's be serious. I want us as a church to start taking very serious our, our prayer life corporately and our prayer life privately. Because I'm convinced that the Holy Spirit will speak with clarity. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your word today. I pray that as we blend our giftings together, as we intentionally work, and, and, and Lord, for those that are still at home, Lord, we, we are still disciples that can make disciples. Help us to be creative and how can we use the empowerment that we have. Those that are still home and those that aren't here don't necessarily have to be limited in our ability to fulfill the Great Commission. And so help us, Lord, to be creative and as leaders in this church, to be able to empower people, to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. How do, what does it look like? Lord, if you will teach us, we will say yes. But we need you because we are tired of working in our own strength. In Jesus' name I pray. If you need help finding or taking your next step, Send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.